Friends, the word inheritance hits some of us differently, doesn't it? For some, it is a hopeful prospect that can dramatically alter your circumstances. For others, the word comes for us freighted with unfortunate recollections. For the prodigal son of Luke chapter 15, he demands his inheritance before his father dies, a clean break with convention and no minor insult to his father. And when people in our families pass, if they have considerable wealth and possessions, they often struggle to secure them, causing fractures between family members and siblings, and it can get ugly rather quickly. One of the struggles of reading and understanding God's revealed word is that we often interpret it through our own experiences. And so depending on how you hear the word inheritance, when it comes up in God's word, your heart may be warmed or you recoil or doubt the promises that contain the word. And so knowing the power of lived experiences, we need to be extra careful to hear God's word with fresh ears. Despite our past experiences, especially in relationships, we need to hear the Lord and see him for what he is and what he says. So today we find this word inheritance, imperishable inheritance, which is a portrait of what God is going to give for us, where his inheritance to his beloved children, which is altogether different. This morning, my hope is that we will be surprised by the grace based on God's mercy towards us. And may our hearts be warmed by the promise of inheritance that we will receive through Jesus Christ this morning. So please turn with me to the letter of Peter in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. We will be looking at three verses, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Let us come to our Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that you would speak to us now. We ask that you would help us to understand what it means to have this imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. Give us grace, Lord, to rejoice in the hope that we have, this living hope that sustains us even now and give us, gives us grace to endure. And to that end, Lord, we ask, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we begin, the big idea of God's word to us this morning is, take heart because it is God himself who secures your eternal inheritance. Take heart because it is God himself who guarantees your eternal inheritance. Now friends, there in verses, verses in 1 Peter, these are the most important things about us as Christians. Notice first what Peter mentions in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter starts here by saying, bless the Lord, blessed be the God. This may feel strange because we think that if anyone needs to be blessed, it is us, not God. But to bless the Lord here means to exalt him, to honor him, to praise God. It is to ascribe him glory. Here Peter is writing to Christians in the first century and as the letter unfolds, one of the things that become clear is that the Christians which he is writing to, they face circumstances that require perseverance. They require endurance and challenge the trials and the opposition that they face. They bring genuine temptation to these believers to, to, to stopping trusting in the Lord, to abandon their trust in him, to abandon their obedience to him. And in the midst of that circumstances, Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father is worthy of our praise. This is also has the connotations of gratefulness, thanksgiving, joy, appreciation, and honor. He's not just simply to be obeyed, he is to be celebrated. He is not just merely to be trusted. He is to be delighted and rejoiced for, in, for who he is and what he has done for us. Now, is that how you think of God the Father? Is that the first thing that comes to your mind when you are going through trials of various kinds? In other translations like NIV, it is more clear. It says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this is not our natural inclination, especially in various challenging, difficult situations and trials. Let's be honest. Our trials can blur and even blind our view of God's goodness. But Peter begins with a prayer of praise, a declaration of worship towards God, whose redemption plan began with the Father's love. Peter is calling these Christians to praise God in the midst of ongoing persecution, amidst social alienation. Peter calls, blessed be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we think like this? The question comes. Peter gives some reasons for this living hope. And so it begins with a prayer of praise, a declaration of worship towards God, and then he gives some reasons. And one he says that he recreated us. Peter uses the word born again, right? Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now as you study the Bible, you will understand all true Christians are born again. This isn't the term that any of us made up. God says it in his word. Jesus said, said it first in that shadowy meeting with Nicodemus, if you remember. He says, you must be born again. Nicodemus called the teacher over all of Israel and he was seeing Jesus and he, was, he wanted to talk to him and it was strange for him that Jesus was telling, you must be born again. We can even see how he asked the question, how can a man be born again if he is old? Nicodemus says to Jesus. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? But we find out later, during the time of Jesus' death, the same Nicodemus is the one 
who has prepared the tomb for Jesus. The, the, the one who was confused and perplexed and not sure what Jesus meant is the one who is making this radical decision to find a place for Jesus to rest. He was one of the Jewish leaders and it was a scandalous thing for him to do what he did. But this conversation of being born again and his confusion to the point of burying Jesus in the tomb seems radical. And so Jesus offers further clarification when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that if someone goes to heaven, they must be born twice. Born of water, indicating natural birth. Everyone in this room is born at least once, but also born of the Spirit. We undergo a spiritual birth. Many throughout church history have called it regeneration. Being born, to start with, is not something people choose to do. But it is so sad that once we are born, which is out of our control, we always want to be in control and choose for ourselves. My life, my choice. This takes us to the path of sin, seeming independence, but far from God. But what does it mean to be born again? As we, as we consider the scriptures, being born again was part of God's plan long before Jesus was born. In ascribing to the new birth of being born of the water and the spirit, Jesus quotes a passage from Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27, where, we, where it's written, God says to the people of Israel, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, cause you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the new covenant promise, friends. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it is not about the thing beating in our chest cavity. The heart is in the mind. Sinclair Ferguson defines the heart in this way. The heart is the central core and the drive of my intellect, it involves my mind, affectionately shapes my soul, and provides energy for my living. This is a good definition of the heart. So when we talk about being born again, we talk about having a new heart, a renewed mind that is constantly being renewed, and it is no wonder for within the Christian, in a way we never experienced by God's people before the Old Testament. We know now that God's spirit lives within us. This is a great mystery. But it is no wonder the Bible uses such an image to describe our new life in Christ. God himself has come to live within us. Of course, we change if we are Christians. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we continue to change. So profound is the change within us that when we come to believe in Jesus Christ, that our deepest desires our deepest drive, our longings are now transformed. Our hearts are spiritually speaking where once flatlined, they began beating for the first time in God. The Apostle Paul describes the new life in Christ in this way. And because of that, praise be to God. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. The image of the new birth and the, this beautiful description is what happened to every Christian. It is the plain reading of scripture that is applied radically to our hearts and that has happened through the gospel. And notice how this new birth comes, to, comes about. In verse 3, we see the cause. By his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. The new birth is entirely, totally a work of God. And you had nothing to do with it. You did not perform or earn it. You were not virtuous enough to receive the transformation from God and the eternal life Christ grants all those who believe. And that's why we sing how vast and measureless the flood of mercy unrestrained. The penalty was paid in full. The spotless lamb was slain. Salvation, what a priceless gift received by grace through faith. We stand in robes of righteousness we stand in Jesus' name. There is no other way but to trust in him to save us. This is only through the mercy of God. There is this great mercy, mercy unrestrained. There is no restriction there. Abundant, lavish mercy showered on sinners like us. Isn't this so amazing? God will be moved by his mercy despite our wickedness to avert his judgment. His wrath towards us is the basis of our new life in Christ. We are never apart from God's mercy. But all is a work of God. He was moving towards us in mercy. We must pause here and bless God for this. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, even on your best days, even when you are seemingly not have sin, and at that moment, any love for God that you have originates in Him first loving you. And what you will lose, you don't want anyways. Your own self-glorification. Not yours. As Paul wrote in Philippians, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. After all, the new life bestowed upon you is the eternal second birth. It can never be extinguished. And how does he cause us to be born again? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is this Christian hope here? It is a living hope sealed and secured through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We may say, isn't our hope more centered on the atonement of Christ? What about the cross? What about the sin-bearing death of Jesus? Well, friends, there is no resurrection without atonement. The resurrection has often been described as the amen of the father upon the finished work of the son. That he got out of the grave shows that he has conquered sin and death for us on the cross. There is no gospel without resurrection. The Christian hope is a living hope because of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And so friends, 
God is calling you each day to be re restored. He has restored you and calls you to be restored, not your body, the Bible is clear. This comes later, the body, but even as your body fails, your soul is being renewed. You have been born again to a living hope. Just the word living shows that there is a life in it, right? As Paul writes in his most intimate letter to the Corinthians, he says, so we do not lose heart. However, our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we not look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Sometimes, when my wife tries to help my kids make some welcome cards or some kind of craft, my kids love to jump into action. And when they work as, and as she helps, there's watercolors, glue, or sometimes small cut pieces of paper. There are markers, crayons, colored pieces. It's a mess in the beginning. But in the end, after everything is done and cleaned up, you see nothing but the finished work on that table and you can bet that for me, from a father's perspective, everything that they make is perfect. Every child of God is a craft in the hands of God. One of the beautiful things about being a Christian is that the hope of eternal life is bearing evidence here and now. It is not a dead hope that we have. It is not a dormant hope. This hope is living. It is never going to die. It is not a hope that this will be activated when Jesus returns. Our hope is alive. So today we endure. We press on. We are renewed in our spirit by the resurrection power. And we are growing in godliness day by day. This is true and nobody can deny it. And we often create a messy craft project. If we look at our own lives, don't we? It is also true that day by day the church, in the view of the empty tomb, is bursting with new life in Jesus. We are renewed and transformed in the spirit and growing in godliness. And all in view of that living hope of that great day when we will be made complete. So my friend, I ask you, is your life changing do you desire Christ? Do you hate sin and long to be pure before God? I'm not talking about this as a religious activity, as this is what we do when we go to church on Sundays kind of thing. Do you truly love on whose name we gather here each Sunday? To honor him in your lives. Are you by the spirit that lives in you putting to death the deeds of the flesh? Have you grown in love for other Christians? Even ones that often tick you. Even ones that embarrass you with some of the crazy things that they say. Do you still go towards them in service and love? Is God changing you in that way? Does God's word melt your heart and cause you to love him more? Are you in praise and awe of God? Apostle John connects the dots for us with hope and obedience. 
they both go together. This living hope should do something in our lives. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will have not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then he says in verse 3, And everyone who does hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So if you, if you have this living hope, if you have been born again, you have experienced this great mercy, you have understood the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, you are purifying yourself because your father is pure. There are hundreds of thousands of Christians around the world who do not live to honor Jesus. Six days a week, their life is so different. And then they come on Sundays to tell the world, this is who Christian is. This is a sad state, friends. And we need to ask ourselves whether our hope is living. Has this changed me as he poured out his abundant mercy on my life? Have you understood that your sins are scarlet, but through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can be washed whiter than snow, even now, if you're continuing in sin? There is a great chasm between man and God because of sin. And all of us, there's in two particular ways. We have inherited the sin of Adam, and we have also willfully disobeyed God every day of our lives. The creator who made and fashioned you for his glory calls you away from your sin and to come to him in faith in Jesus Christ. God, out of his great mercy, called sinners for his own glory, sent his own son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, truly God and truly man, came into the world, lived the perfect life, a sinless life that none of us could live. And then on the cross, he took the guilt of all his people throughout history for all time. He took their gift before a holy God unto himself and the Father rained down his judgment and his wrath. Only on his only begotten son who became sin for us and through his substitutionary death, we receive the merits and the righteousness of his perfect life. This is called the sweet exchange. He gets our sin and we get his righteousness. And on the cross we are secure and we have not a guilty declaration which gives us not a hope of eternity with Jesus, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. To be washed entirely, pure before him and as a treasured child of God. Is that you? We are not complete but changing because of the living hope. So before we move on, there's one thing I, I would like to mention. If you are here this morning and you do not follow Jesus Christ, you should know that this inheritance, this hope, you do not have. You do not have the hope because you do not have Jesus. It is a blessing that Jesus offers freely to anyone who will come to him. But there is only one way to get it 
apart from, there is no other way to get it apart from coming to him. Friends, God commands you to turn from your sin. Let go of any hopes that you have on this earth and turn to Christ in faith and in trust. There is nothing that you can do. There is nothing you must do to earn this inheritance, this hope. But God will give it to you freely. You must come to him. And if you have more questions, please come and talk to me after the service. We will be happy to talk to you and spend our, an hour or two hours explaining these things to you. And then look at the promise he gives to us. Look at the mercy he lavishes, lavishes upon us. No matter how sinful you think, you can still come to Christ. Richard Sibbs, a Puritan, once said, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. That is true. When we are born again, God does the spiritual transformation. He grants us faith. We are born again unto a living hope. So, friends, be encouraged by this living hope. Praise God for that and live for his glory. And what does this living hope look like? Our hope consists of an inheritance. But here is what is so helpful about it. This inheritance is permanent. It, can, it can't be lost or spoiled or lose its value or fade out. Notice in verse 4, this living hope is our permanent inheritance. That's our second lesson. Verse 4, it says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, by who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see the inheritance? This is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. These words are not just used for repetition here. Peter is not simply laying, out, laying it on think, thick to dazzle these people with his ability to say the same thing in a bunch of different ways. He's not writing to read for himself. Each of these features of our inheritance is meant to strengthen our confidence in the quality of our inheritance. So let's take them each one at a time. Our inheritance is imperishable, which means unable to be destroyed. It does not have an expiry date. In the Gospels, Jesus urged his disciples this way. Do not lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break it and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Some of us are worried about the rise in inflation. But friends, Money can lose its value at a startling speed. Better for us to set our hope on the inheritance that cannot perish. How many of us are hoping in our own bodies? We invest way too much in them. Some of us. I'm not calling anyone particularly, but that is true. The amount of money we spend on ourselves the creams, the care products, the food we take, the kinds of things that we do to try and preserve the inevitable. But what is the truth? Are we kidding ourselves? We are falling apart. Do some rigorous workout or a play a game 
or a walk, it takes about three days to get back to normal. Go for a hike. You need at least two days to get back to normal. All of us know this is this as we get older, how we can hope in these bodies. They fail and they are perishing. Peter also says that our inheritance is undefiled, which means it can't be polluted. That's a different take, different from the imperishable imagery. It has to do with corruption. In the book of James, he writes a sobering account of unjust gain. He says in James chapter 5, verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last few days. Scary stuff. But the fact is that they are all defiled by sin. Our inheritance was purchased by Christ himself. On the other hand, it is not subject to corrosion or pollution or any form of defilement. It cannot be corrupted because it comes from him. He whom the Bible says is the light, in him there is no darkness at all. Some of us are hoping on other people. But friends, there is nobody in this world that is incorrupt. All our works are corrupted, like filthy rags. None of it can fulfill the promise of an inheritance, undefiled, unfading, or anything else. You are not built for that. And finally, Peter says that our inheritance is unfading. Can you think of anything that you bought recently? Maybe a car or a phone or anything else. You spend hours thinking and researching and analyzing which one is the best product. After a particular time, it starts to fade and lose its value. No matter how much research you do and see which will last for you a good while, it will fade. It will lose its charm and become junk. With time, things lose their value. One man's treasure in due time becomes another man's trash. Even if you think for a moment, what was the inheritance of God's people in the Old Testament? It's an important question to ask. Because we, even as Peter is using this language, he's pointing the Christians to the nation of Israel. However, there were churches in the modern day Central Asia Minor, the Turkey. For instance, in chapter 2 verse 9, he calls them that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his possession. This is Old Testament talk. Israel's fingerprints are all over this book, this first Peter. And this is applied to Gentile churches in Asia Minor. And I think this is the evidence of a profound continuity between God's people in the Old and the New Covenant. Peter is showing us the similarities. Just as Israel was promised an inheritance in the Old Testament, we see an inheritance promised to the church. What was the inheritance to the Israelites? It was the land that was their very own. It was the promised land, Canaan. The hope for them was that they would finally arrive at the promised land. Isn't that also this living hope that drives us today to long for that day? I mean, that's what living hope does, right? 
no matter how hard the circumstances, we endure through it because we know one day it's going to be better. That was the same with Israelites and it's the same with us Christians. So they, they, this inheritance, what we see here the old, in the Old Testament, even they lost it because of their sin. Here it wa- is what it gets in tes- interesting. All of this was meant to point to Israel's need for an eternal home, to long for a better country. Even in the Old Testament, it wasn't just a piece of land. Look at Exodus chapter 29, verses 45 to 46. It says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So the promise that God has given, the promised land, it comes with God dwelling with the people of Israel. So friends, let me ask you, Could it be that your hope in an inheritance that will perish one day? Are you pining away for earthly inheritances? Many of the Israelites there, hope was in the land flowing with milk and honey. They wanted a place to live for themselves and that is where it ended. Their eyes were looking down. An empty house is not a home. A promised land without the promise giver will be thrilling, but maybe for only a few months. That's about it. What is your hope in today, my friend? In earthly possessions? Owning a piece of property? Owning your own house? That particular relationship? God calls us, all of us, to look upward. To look to Jesus. Heaven is heaven because God is there. And we will dwell with him forever, for eternity. The Burj Al Arab that we see in Dubai is a seven star rated hotel. I think so, maybe I'm wrong. Everything is glittery in there and it is extravagant beyond whatever you can think. But if that's it, if you think for a moment, That might be a good plan for 60 years max or 70 or 80 max, that building standing like that. But not for eternity. Because that will fade away. What is your hope? What is your inheritance? And lastly, we notice in our verses, the thing that holds it all together and why we can have confidence is because in God's power. The one who stands at watch over our destiny is more alert, more powerful, and more zealous for the preservation of your inheritance than any man or any army that can ever be. Look at verse 5. It says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Knowing that our inheritance in Christ is more secure than anything we store in a bank vault. A theme throughout 1 Peter that we have seen is that the redeemed will persevere. The strangers in exile will come home. You can never be lost if you are one of God's elect or a chosen child. 
Peter leaves no doubt about that. It is the Spirit's work. God who dwells within us, the supplier of our faith, he is the one who is guarding us. Some translations say, shielding us until Christ returns. My Christian friend, it is not by your own power that you are, that you are kept for God, but it is only by God's power. And by God's power, you will persevere. You are guarded by faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. In the last time, the hair means when Jesus returns. And it is often in our weakness that he keeps us, sustains us, and gives us energy to go. Because of our God, our inheritance is guaranteed. We will be with him forever in a happy land with no sorrow, only joy. Now think of the banks here and think of the security guards in front of these banks. If you look at them, they're not, so, you, you, they not so strong. You, you feel like you can, take a, you, can take, you can take them on, right? No potential, right? They can easily fail and the whatever that's stored in that bag can be easily gone. Man can fail. No inheritance can be safely guarded. So it is better, my friends, that our all-powerful God is guarding our inheritance. And because of this, we will know that we will be guarded until the coming of Christ. So if you set your hope on this inheritance, how should this change the way that you live today? You've seen the living hope that we have in Christ and the inheritance that we have. How should that inform us? Now, there are many things that we could say. Let's start with the situation of Peter's readers. They are aliens and foreigners, sojourners because of their godliness. They seem odd to the people around them. They don't fit in. They are at times mocked and looked down upon because of their commitment to Christ. Once again, we should recognize the power of our desire to belong, to be accepted. We all have this pull, right? To be well thought of or to be admired. And how strong the pull can be out of our desire to get that from people around us and that compromise in our faith. Compromise our obedience to the Lord. But when you rightly hold up whatever it is, the people can offer you may be, it is your family, your co-workers or your, or your neighbors. When you hold that up against the inheritance that you have in Christ, this is always falling apart. We ought to work at that and keep our eternal inheritance before our eyes. And this can be applied in anything in your life. Now practically I want to give a couple of examples. Let's just go with the lack of sleep. You got a new baby in the house. Maybe it's your job situation or some type of health situation that keeps you from getting rest. Now there is a lot to say there but one thing I would like to say is lean into God's grace. When you fix your eyes on your eternal inheritance, that's where you rest. Let me be clear, heaven is a place of work as well as work and rest. And there is no toil and there is no exhaustion, no more desperation and no more sense of absolute hopelessness. And when you set your eyes on that, ask the Lord for that and this brief momentary exile where we do experience exhaustion, weakness and tiredness, we can still lean into trusting God. 
lean into loving people because and I because I have a hope and my hope is secure in Christ. It is going to help me to endure this brief time of sleeplessness. Or think of finances. You may be tempted to put your hope in finances. Either way, because you have so much of it or so little of it, it can tempt you to put your hope in finances. It can lead you to want to be a workaholic or to selfishly indulge in yourself in material luxury at the expense of others. Or it can lead to anxiety. When your hope is solidly fixed on your eternal inheritance, you are spurred on to endure the ups and downs and the stresses of material provision in this life, knowing they are fleeting and temporary. And God has prepared an eternal inheritance far beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. When your hope is solidly fixed in that, what does it do? You are not so anxious. You are freed to be generous because you are not grasping for things in this life and you are enduring and trusting yourself to the Lord. He will be faithful and you know he will be faithful. Even if you starve to death, you step into eternal joy. Nothing that can take it away. And this dynamic worked in Jesus himself, friends. Remember, remember in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what did he look to? What did Jesus look to? When he was suffering on the cross? Eternal future reward and happiness that kept him going. Praising God. Doing what pleases the Lord. Even through the great suffering of the cross. And now what does he do? He shares this eternal reward with us sinners by imputing his righteousness on us and making us eligible to be partakers of this eternal inheritance. So if we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him in eternity. Take heart, friends, because it is God himself who secures your eternal inheritance. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are indeed worthy of our praise. We praise you as our God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We praise you as the one out of the freedom of your mercy you have caused us to be born again. And we praise you for the living eternal hope that you have given us as a result. We pray that you would give us grace to fix our eyes on that sure and certain hope of eternity given to us in Christ. And may that free us, Lord, daily to endure and persevere for your glory and for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.